Hello, hello, hello. Welcome along to Benchcast, the podcast for bench warmers. I'm your host, Nevla Dunu. Today I'll be talking to Irish women's rugby player, Anna Capeless. She'll be looking back at the line store, talking about her career so far, and talk about women in sport in general. Give it a listen. Enjoy. Anna, how are you? Grand. Good to see you. What's the crack? Not much. I uh, know you from many moons ago. I think uh, <laughs> I was your I was your youth leader in Lourdes, and I don't think yeah. neither of us were particularly holy, you know. <laughs> yeah, we go way back pushing wheelchairs down in Lourdes. Yeah, great crack, you know. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Yeah. It was a long time ago now, like. Yeah, yeah. Fado, fado, fado. But uh, no, sure. Look, how how are we getting on anyway? You you're in Dublin these days, are you? What are you? At? Yeah, I'm in Dublin these days. Um, I was obviously playing for Quinns, for Harlequins over in London there the last two seasons. And because of COVID, it got a bit difficult um, kind of being there and coming back for Irish camps and stuff. And it's obviously a massive year for women's rugby in Ireland because we have World Cup qualifiers coming up. And yeah. sure, they've been coming up for the last year now because, you know, they've been postponed and postponed and then the World Cup got postponed and stuff. So... Oh uh, yeah, it was a kind of a, a tricky enough Christmas. Like we'd a lot of games cancelled in Quinns, and then we had like positive cases that stopped me coming back for camps. Yeah. And I, uh, yeah, I just decided to kind of take the element of travel out of it, and you know, wanted to prioritize Ireland. And yeah, moved back a few months ago, and kind of had intended to, if I could, go and finish the season with Quinns. But a million different things kind of pointed towards just having to stay here and. Um, yeah, so it's been it's been a tough one. It's been a tough season for me personally as well. Like it didn't go yeah. as I'd planned, and uh, we're well. We're back in preseason now. I'm training hard and trying to get like back in there and trying to, you know. Uh, well, yeah. look, Anna. I no, we'll come back to that, all right? Because I just want to, yeah, I just want to briefly know what you're at. But I suppose I'll start first of how you got into rugby. Start from day one. I yeah. like I was trying to look you up on Wikipedia and all that. Like I know, obviously, know you from many moons ago. But uh, like, and I'd be following your career also. But um, like your mad sports, obviously. Anyways, like I think going by mm-hmm. Ultimate Rugby's website, your mother was the captain of the ladies' golf, and your old fella is a mad GM. And is that right? What? Where did you get that? Where do you complain? You complain Ultimate Rugby dot dot com. Yeah. That's up Who there. runs that website? They've loads of info, like well, they've all the stats and everything. It, it's, it's actually a very yeah. good website because I use it oh, like it's excellent. Brian O'Driscoll yeah. I think, was, was partners with it at one stage. But yeah, that's where I got that order. Oh, no yeah. Jeez, yeah, they've all the inside info. Yeah, it's gas because I actually saying about my dad being a mad GA man, I yeah. I threw that in one time in an interview, pure throwaway comment, and it kind of came back and dad was like, Where, where did you get the idea that I was a mad GA man? Yeah. But like I suppose it just comes from us being like mad Cork fans growing up and just always having GA on and the telly or going to matches and, you know, being massive GA fans, it kind of soon enough morphed into like following rugby and like, you know, monster success. Like when I was younger, just, you know, filtered into our house and we used to go to, you know, all the matches, but like, yeah, prior to that, it was always, my mom's a tennis coach and yeah, a, a golf golfer as well. And, um, was always golf and tennis for me growing up and obviously GA in any kind of country school or club there's a lot of GA going on and played a lot of that and my dad used to um drive rally cars and was very successful rally driver so yeah just a lot of sports mad and like you know we'd always have like 
sports on and it came from both my mom and my dad like watching yeah. Liverpool and like watching golf and kind of it's it's a good um you know it's a good thing for young people to be able to kind of sit down and get fully engaged in a sport and you know fully follow the action and follow a player and see how they yeah. progress and the highs and lows that those players encounter that was definitely the case in our T- house and for me T- typical Irish upbringing, basically. So your parents are into Definitely. all sports, really. And do you have any brothers or sisters? Yeah, yeah I have a brother. Oh, I'm the youngest of four, so I have two older sisters and an older brother. And me and my brother are quite close in age, so... And we always trying to compete against the brother or the... Oh, no? Definitely. Yeah. Definitely, like, always um, head-to-head, loggerheads, like, kicking the heads off each other, like, physically and competitively as well, you know, in, in, in all areas so that's definitely where my competitive edge would come from and like do you know I would have done everything that my brother did like you know my brother started going to like fishing club and and the angling club so I wanted to do the same and I was really good at that and I loved it as well and I never minded being the only girl at these things like I always just wanted to you know compete with my brother and then you know that kind of circle of of the, the angling club there but like there was one thing then that my brother did that I just felt like I, I couldn't ask if I could do it because of the physical aspect of it. And that was rugby. I remember my brother going down to rugby training and me going to watch. And it would be very rare that I would go and watch my brother do something and not join in. So I think the kind of the hunger for rugby came that day when I had to stand and watch him play and couldn't really ask to join in. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, that's definitely where the competitive edge comes from anyway. Yeah, no, you hear it in all sports people. Like I remember hearing about Paul O'Connell before. He used to always be trying to compete against his older brother. So it's kind of, yeah. it's in the family. But I suppose then, yeah. was it always rugby or did you play GA and other sports when you were younger? Yeah, I played football, a um, bit of camogie as well, uh, tennis, golf. Um, yeah, and like individual and team sports. So yeah. that, you know, that was a nice combo. But like, it's funny you make that point there about, you know, people competing with their older brothers. I played with the Barbarians uh, She's coming up to two years ago now, which was an unbelievable experience. Like, and, you know, with the barbarians, you only have a week together. So you've got to build your culture like fast and stuff. And one thing that you do is just, you know, talk about yourself and share your story. And I'd say 90% of the girls in the room said that they had a brother that they were competitive with and that they were trying to get one up on. And I wanted to play rugby because he was playing rugby. And like, so that's a, that's a massive thing. And, you know, you'll see now going forward in the next few years, what it's going to be is, my sister played rugby and I wanted to compete with her. Do you know, like that sibling rivalry and it'll start to filter down just, you know, from male um, athletes and role models. They're now starting to morph into female athletes and role models. Like I had my, the bedroom, my bedroom wall was covered in pictures of male athletes. Like just because I'd just be cutting them out of the paper all the time. Like my dad would go to read the paper and they'd be like, a hole in the middle of the paper in the shape of like Peter Stringer, like because I just get there first and put the picture up because I was just so obsessed with them. Like I just thought they were just amazing. Yeah. Um. So that that's starting to change already. Do you know, yeah. and not just cause uh, women's sport is is being funded more, but it's in the media more. Do you know? Yeah. Um. So that that's hopefully yeah already starting to change. Well, I I, I do want to get into that. I'll definitely get in touch on that as well, uh, Anna. But also like I suppose um. Then as you as you went along, what you started playing with Mallow Rugby and then you got involved with was it Munster and then was it Fiona Steed brought you in then and you were your you what you moved into number eight, was it? And then just tell us your story yeah. of how you moved up the line. 
Yeah, that's correct. I played, yeah, I, I played um, under 18s rugby in, in Mallow, uh, which was amazing. Like not a lot of clubs had girls underage sites when I was growing up. So like when I got into, you know, a senior Munster team or a senior Irish team, a lot of the girls on those teams would have only got into it at college level. So I was very lucky to have two years of underage rugby done before I got into senior level. And um, yeah, I played, I played Munster under 18, like the same year I started playing. That was amazing. Like it was just so, such a, a, a wonderful feeling. And like I was brought then from the Munster under 18 side into the senior side kind of as a project player. And uh, yeah. yeah, under Fiona Steed. Yeah. And that was, uh, that was gas. Like I was just totally... I wouldn't say out of my depth rugby wise, but like very much like rugby is a very um very lot of very confident, yeah, yeah, a lot of very confident people, you yeah. know, in a monster setup like that, and a lot of people that were aware that you had to kind of stamp your authority if you wanted to make it forward in the game. I knew none of that. Like I used to eat my lunch outside in my own down in for my rugby club, like out in the steps, right. because I was just so scared of everyone, like yeah, yeah. and not not in a bad way, just because you know a club side will help you kind of form your own personality to then go into something like monster but sheep as i remember just being such a little a little fly like around all these uh you know massive players and personalities so that was uh that was really interesting yeah and from there then went to play for ul bows which was um definitely the most um they were the most like formative years of my rugby career like yeah. playing for ul bows and uh yeah has it's been a very interesting journey for me like i studied languages so i yeah. got a you know time time abroad playing in different countries and obviously went and played in the premiership and came back to ireland in between and now back to the premiership and now i'm in dublin so it's very sorry all right <laughs> this, is, over. this is this is audio anyway so the visuals up here right. yeah that's <laughs> yeah, yeah so sorry um so yeah, that's uh, that's kind of very whistle stop tour of, of kind of where. Did, did you play sevens yeah. as well? Did you? Oh. I played sevens for Ireland. Yeah, um, yeah. it's an interesting one. Like when it started, you know, a lot of funding went into sevens, which it it, it still is. But like, uh, it it was it was new, so it was kind of um, trial and error, I suppose, for a long yeah. time. And I don't think we had the pool of players to, you know fit out both a sevens and a 15 side so i suppose going into the sevens kind of slowed down my uh maybe opportunity to get into the 15 side earlier but that's fine it's just the way it happened and it's the way it happened in my time and i was very glad to play sevens i loved it and uh played yeah, in the world's uh women's sevens world series in dubai yeah. and played a lot of other tournaments as well with them so um yeah yeah and it I was interesting there's two questions then. Um, do Mallow, do they have still have a women's rugby team? Because I know a lot of clubs struggle sometimes, like with my own home home club, you all, they have a team some years and they don't other years. And the second thing is, yeah. when you broke, broke into Munster that time, just thinking, like, what year was that? Because that was really the highs of women's rugby, wasn't, wasn't it? 2015, mm. did they win this? Or that was probably before your time, didn't they win the women's Six Nations mm. and then they basically mm -hmm. defeated the All Blacks? So, like, yeah, tell us about Mallow and tell us about... Like you're saying there, there was a lot of big names in Munster that time. Yeah, so like, first of all, in terms of like, yeah, Mallow, they, they have a, a girls team at the moment. I think there was an attempt at a senior team at, at some stage, but as far as I'm aware at the moment, it's uh, it's not yet there. But you're right, and like what you're saying about y'all there, and I was chatting about this only the other day with um, Emily Lane, who's also a girl that, that came through Mallow and is now in the Irish setup. We're just saying that like, 
you know, the team when I was there, like the team that started, like we had like 50 girls down in the park one night training and like that, that excitement, like, and that uh, success that we had, you know, having those numbers down to, to yeah. training then. That lasted a couple of years and then it kind of faded away and then it kind of came back and then it faded away. It's funny, like it's very up and down and I'd like to see clubs kind of just be able to get a little more consistency. But it's hard when coaches, you know, it's all voluntary. It's a lot of commitment and yes, you love it. But also, you know, each of us has so much going on in our own lives anyway that, you know, it's it's very demanding being a coach. And I think that might be one of the reasons why it ebbs and flows so much and probably the same down in y'all and, and I think as the numbers grow that problem will become less hopefully um but to answer your other question then about Munster yeah god no I've I got into that Munster setup a long time a long time ago I think 2009 maybe was when I got right. into the, the it, senior it took, setup first it took you a while to get into the Irish setup then did it a long the, time yeah yeah a long time longer than I would have liked but again like I said I got to play abroad and things like that and then the sevens kind of slowed things down so yeah I didn't get my first cap till 2016 but I was in Irish squads and Irish camps since 2000 and I don't even know what year but a good few years before that and that's kind of for me you know it's a very I was always told like you know this is the way to do it now just bide your time and you know your time will come your time will come and I suppose it gets hard then when you see kind of uh, you know, people coming into squads and they're there and they get selected like straight away. It was just a very big yeah. difference to, to how I kind of came through the squad. So it's kind of, that's the reality of it though. Like it just happens for some players in a certain way and for others it's different. And for me, it was just a very long passage of play to to get to yeah, my first cap. And then my second cap, like I didn't get my second cap for months after my first cap. That right. was very difficult. Yeah, Very difficult thing to take. You know, a lot of people... You know, some people might be happy with their one cap and yeah, I achieved it now. But I know for me and a lot of the players that I know, that's not that's not it. You don't ever want just one. You want to grow and grow and you want as many jerseys as you can gather, you know? Yeah. No, I'm just thinking because like, I just thinking about you all there as well, like like Claire Cohan, who, who you'd know. Um, mm-hmm. She, like most girls that get into rugby, like yourself probably and Claire, because I know Claire was big in GA when she was younger. Like, would you like to see a proper development route there for girls that actually want to play rugby instead of going GA and then into rugby definitely definitely Um, now I I, I, nothing against and I actually would be very much for multi-sports when you're younger and multi-sports as long as you can like I played down I played rugby down in Australia there a couple of seasons ago and you have a lot of girls in playing rugby and it was just always their sport. They just always came into to rugby from a young age, and that was it. They don't have this kind of multi-sport kind of ideology that we have in Ireland, definitely. And none of them could kick. They're like, they had no kickers because they had no kind of footballers on the team. Yeah. I just thought it was the strangest thing ever. And like, I think that's why, you know, in, 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 in Ireland, like we've got good kickers coming through and good ball skills, like, and it comes from, yeah, from, from Ga and from, other sports and I definitely encourage it for as long as possible and then at some stage you know if you're going to take it seriously one's going to eat into the other yeah 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 yeah. so you know yeah Um, and then I suppose tell us like about your time over in Harlequins in um, like was it just were were they professional or semi-professional over there or Um, 
so some of the players are semi-professional because sorry some of the players are professional because they play for England yeah. so they will have English contracts um, and then you know it's 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 a very good setup that they have over there. All of the premiership clubs are then, you know, have a duty to uh, train and coach those English players that are based in your club on a full-time program. Yeah. Um, and then if you, if you just happen to be in the club like Quinns and you're not on a RFU English contract, um, you can take part in that full-time program as well. Yeah. Um, so that's what I've been doing with Harlequins the last few years, but I'm not professional. I just, I work part-time so that I can take part in that. And that's, you know, that's the decision that I made for myself and to prioritise my rugby career. What's your um, day-to-day job, uh, Anna? Sorry. <laughs> right. If, this is an interesting one. Like, I, I, I thought I'm you were a physio. No. said that to me. Someone, no, that's right. one thing I've never done, even though I right, thought about right. it. I thought about it for a long time. I, uh, still not too late, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a teacher. I'm a right. teacher. I'm a languages. Yeah, did languages and, um, college. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, and then I studied to be a teacher in the UK. So at the moment, and I'm also a rugby coach. So I was while I was in while I was at Quinns, I was working for Harlequins Foundation. So coaching kids there, and like uh, the foundation is a very cool part of Premiership clubs because it's all about giving back to the local community. Like I yeah. loved that. I thought it was brilliant. So I loved working for them. But since leaving Harlequins, I'm back in. Um, Dublin at the moment. I'm working in a coffee shop, so I'm a barista. Right. Right. So I'm a barista down in um, uh, Mint Coffee. It's in Blackrock Rugby Club, actually. Right. It's in the car park there at the drive through So if anyone's around, <laughs> drop She's in and say it. hello. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, drop in and say hello. But you know what? It's lovely to be a barista. Like it's a nice change from like coaching and and teaching, where you know it's a lot of energy. And just as a barista, I'm just chatting away to people like. Uh, telling stories and you get a load of alicadoos down yeah, like yeah, ordering yeah. their cappuccino so I'd be chatting away to them as well so yeah. Uh, yeah that's that's what I'm at at the moment before I decide what the next step is going to be club boys rugby is your one love like really isn't it like that's mm. why you went over to London really was it to try and take it more serious and to move up a level yeah yeah definitely like all of the decisions I've made around my life in the last 10 years have been with rugby in mind whether that was to you know improve take a break uh change the scenery change my uh you know prioritize one thing or another it's everything I've done in the last like yeah 10 years has been to, to prioritize rugby so yeah it's definitely had a massive like effect on on, on my life yeah yeah and is it like is it chalk and cheese women's rugby over in England compared to Ireland do we have a long way to come here or go um here? I I wouldn't say chalk and cheese. I think that's um it, it could it might be the case for like some clubs if you compared, you know, picked out a, a certain club to compare. But like I know when I started in UL Bowls, um, and you would have heard of and maybe you know a, a coach called Ian Costello, like yeah. you know, big name in, in, in UL Bowls and in Munster, like he was my coach in Bowls and he got me into the academy in UL Bowls, like the the you know, the, the academy for the students in UL Bowls, it's mostly for, you know, for male players, but they'd have a couple of female players in it every year. And that was like being in a professional, or at least that academy environment. So like I got that treatment and that kind of lifestyle and that exposure to rugby very early on in my playing career. And that's actually what set my standards so high. And like, I think that UL Bowls did a, 
brilliant job of it. Like if you look at that, you know, that team that, like you say, beat the Black Ferns and, and won the Six Nations and, and the Grand Slam even in, in 2015 and then 2013 as well, was it? Yeah. Um, a lot of those players came through that UL Bowes Academy. A lot of those players played under Cosi. Um, I would actually give him a lot of credit for for how good those players were. And, you know, if we could have people like Cosi with that vision and prepare to feed it into the women's side as well as the men's, look at the success you can get from it. Like, yeah. And look at how successful England are at the moment because they've got this, you know, academy set up yeah. or full-time kind of professional setup. We'll use academy just to kind of, you know, as an example, because that's what I, I came through. But like when I got to Quinn's a couple of seasons ago, I was like, yeah, this is what I've been missing. This is what I've been looking for since, you know, I yeah. left the academy in UL Bowes. And so I, I would have always said that, you know, the standard of training at UL Bowes was much better than a lot of the teams I played with in the UK or, or elsewhere. Um, so it depends on the timing. I think at the moment... Yeah, like especially after the year we've had with a big long break from from rugby uh, for women, like um, yeah. things things are kind of on the back foot. I don't know. I don't really know where we're at at the moment in Ireland. I know that Energy are going to invest a lot in in the in the AIL for women. Like I think that's brilliant. I love the AIL. Like I think yeah. the AIL is a brilliant brilliant competition. So I wouldn't no, I wouldn't say that it was chalk and cheese between the Premiership and between Ireland's Ireland's AIL. Um, I think the caliber of player, there's maybe more uh, higher level players in the UK. And I think that's that's kind of the biggest difference there. Yeah, but I do think, like, to give you my opinion, I suppose, I shouldn't. Go on. <laughs> no, like, no, no, please do. I do think they need to do a lot more for women's rugby. And I think it starts from the top down. Like I see there on a, when you're Six Nations games, they're thrown out to Donnybrook Stadium. You know, I can't understand. Like, if I was to say to you, um, oh geez, if I was to say it was Serena Williams or uh Katie Taylor, they're big names because they're putting mm. the, they're putting the spotlight like you know, like mm-hmm. if women's if women's tennis it's on every second day at Wilmington or the French Open, you know, it's it's intertwined, you know. And you look at Katie Taylor, she'll be fighting before Anthony and Joshua, so they, they share the main stage. I, t- I can't understand why they don't, and this goes for GA and soccer as well, mm-hmm. why they don't like. Say the women's six or the men's six nations are played Ireland, England. Why not the mm. women play as a precursor or after it? You know, like yeah. that's because then you get people like you know it in GA. People go along and they'd watch the minor match or they'd go in. Hundred percent. So like, why not? It's like move the minors and the under twenty ones to another day and have the women's on the same day. Now I know you might be able to do it in GA because you got forty thousand at the women's football there one year. But that's yeah. Like what? What do you think? Like, I think that's what they should be doing. Yeah, it's an interesting one. And it's definitely like, I'd definitely love to see all these things being trialed. Yeah. Like, and try it. And if it doesn't work, whatever. But yeah, I, I would agree with you. And I think it's definitely one way of doing it. And actually, an interesting. Oh, yeah, I can hear you there now, Anna. Oh, yeah, yeah. Grand. Sorry, you were, just, you, were ju- you, were, you were just saying an interesting one. Yeah. So, an interesting one there was last year during lockdown, um, when obviously all the matches were cancelled, I was, I was still in London working for Harlequin's Foundation. One of the um, tasks we were given when we were working from home was to call on the phone as many season ticket holders for Harlequin's as possible just to check in, say hello. And actually, it was a lovely thing to do because, you know, people 
ah, some people were fine and they were managing away fine. And then there were other people that were kind of lonely and wanted to talk about rugby. And I had some wonderful chats with some of the season ticket holders at Harlequins, like uh, about rugby and, and, and some of the old games. And I used to tell them I was from Munster and we'd talk about, you know, Munster and Thoman Park and all these things. And, you know, I'd tell them that I was on the women's team and they'd be very interested. Like there wasn't one... Um, of the season ticket holders that said to me like all oh, right you know they were all like really and how are you getting on and I asked them a, a, a lot about this like do you come to the women's games why do you or why don't you and like they all said that if they if they could see both the women's and the men's either on the same day or the calendars worked in conjunction with each other where they could like the thing is they've bought a season ticket to see the men but then the women's games are beyond somewhere else. Yeah. Or the women and like it's not possible. They are that's a ready-made audience right there that have so much passion for Quinns, would absolutely love to support the women's team, but they can't because anytime there's been a double header, for example, they have to leave early because like the you know, they've got to get the train or or anything like that. Whereas if it's on beforehand. Do you know exactly like you say with the minor setup? You can get there early. You can't have the men's match as a main climax and then have the you know the women's afterwards. It just doesn't work. Like I think like the women's game, especially at club level, international is slightly different. But like get the club games on before. The men don't need an hour to warm up, or else you know put an outside space where you yeah. can have the men warming up there and then come onto the pitch. Maybe let your kickers on at halftime in the women's game or something like that. But make it work you've got a ready-made audience there like that is only dying to like i really mean that dying to support the women's game but it's not really possible yeah no i, I think like even if you watch against the head or the sunday game and they always have like uh, a, a girl on in the panel i think it's just like ticking boxes you know just to see that we we got a girl here you know i think if they were actually serious that's what they should be doing you know and i and as i said i I, as you said there, I do think there's an audience, but they gotta they gotta promote it and get it out there, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Agreed. Now, I they've they've started to, or at least this year, just gone because of COVID, kind of was the catalyst in this. But they had the Women's Six Nations on during its own window, yeah. Um, on in April, and actually, I think it worked really well. Like, I wouldn't have. I, I, I didn't think it was a great idea. Not, not that I disagreed with it. I was just like, I loved the balls around Six Nations and I loved kind of playing, you know, the having the England weekend and having the France weekend. I loved that buzz. But actually, it worked really well to have it as a standalone. And I think they might do that going forward. And yeah, it might open up the doors for more supporters to, you know, to come to both games, like uh, once the men's is over, now it's time to focus on the women. So it's, it's, it's all, I'm up for anything being trialed. And I'm up, I'm up for like being surprised by any way of yeah. doing it. But you're right. It has to just be done. Yeah, Do you know, yeah. it has to just be started and tried. And, yeah. yeah. Uh, actually, speaking of that, you caused a bit of headlines there when the Six Nations was on, did you? Because I remember uh, I, was, I, heard, I heard it on Off the Ball one night. Was it there was internet oh, yeah. trolls or something, was it? <laughs> yeah, know? like, yeah, like, you know, like people just straight away jumping in, just like take you know, saying nasty things about women's sport or just sport in general. And I just think it's, I like, I get a lot of, um, you'd hear a lot of people just 
instantly say like, oh, women's rugby is crap or whatever, you know, yeah. like something like that. But like, you don't, I mean, I mean, we were talking about this earlier. The Lions was absolutely boring, absolutely boring. The back kicking, yeah. like the, just the, you know, the caliber of player that's there. And then they're just kicking away, trying to win like penalties for down the pitch, all this territorial nonsense. Like, I'm sorry now, but if the Lions were to play in the Viva Stadium tomorrow, they'd sell it out. It's just, and it's kind of the point that you're making there, like the fuss around it and stuff. But then you'll have like a lot of people criticizing, you know, women's rugby and like not coming along to the game. But then you'll have the same people criticizing the men's rugby, but they'd no bother go to the men's game then in the morning. Yeah. Do you yeah. know, like it's yeah. so I, I, that's kind of my point about it. Like, yeah, we want to be, we would like to be professional. We would like the, the game to like get that far and, you know, to have an equal playing field eventually. So you have to take on what the, what the trolls are saying. But at the moment, we're all working full-time jobs. So it's, it's, and you, we do our training. We do the same amount of training as the men around a full-time job. Yeah. So it's hard then when people come in and criticize you and you're just like, well, you know, if I had, and Ugo Manye said this, if he had to hold down a full-time job when he was throughout his career, he wouldn't have achieved half as much, quarter of as much as what he did achieve as a professional. So that makes you think like, you know, there's there's barriers there to to kind of keep the women's game kind of a little bit, you know, a little bit stunted in its growth. So when people come in and criticize it, it, it just gets a bit frustrating. And like, yeah, I, I'm kind of outspoken about it. I'd have no problem kind of replying to someone on Twitter telling them to like, yeah. you know, just give it a go yourself. Like, and I've had I've had like run-ins and confrontations with people. Like yeah, I had that an interesting that wouldn't be like it, you know. <laughs> well, like and a lot of people would say like, oh, and it just ignore them. Like, at what stage are we just going to turn around and be like, I know, but... sorry, no, it's not acceptable. It's just to yeah. be, you know, be an arsehole online, basically, because it's just, you know, there's been a lot of talk around it. And, you know, tackle your feelings and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, rugby players Ireland kind of are behind a lot of that as well, is that you're not, you don't know, like you can't, you don't know what a player is going through. You don't know what their journey has been. You don't know what they're dealing with that day, that week, whatever it's very easy to be like a couch potato critic. Um, and you, I think you sound like an Egypt when you're coming in, like to, trying to to offer these like mad yeah. opinions on how someone should do something. Like, I thought the Olympics was very interesting for that now. And I actually think that there was a lot of kindness online and not that there's no place for criticism in sport, but like it has to be warranted and it has to, I just thought it was, um, interesting you know around like Simone Biles pulling out and then a lot of people like jumping on her case but actually a lot of the stuff I saw around her pulling out was very positive you know yeah. like a lot of people like fair play to her and yeah. I think we're opening our eyes more to that like you know fair play to someone who's putting themselves out there has trained that much still managed to mess up and is still on their journey so yeah. um no I, yeah. I think I think that's a bigger debate like I do think that the social media companies need to step in and like if you're prepared to put it up online you should be a prepared to say it in person too you know but that's a exactly yeah um i suppose yeah. then the final few questions was and is um like like uh, worst like we go on about there we market a game like i remember one of the best games of women's rugby i watched now it was the women's rugby world cup final as you'd expect mm. it's actually one mm. of the best games of rugby i watched full stop never mind women's or men's yeah. between yeah. new zealand and england in the final and 
but they were both professional you know it just shows what you mm. get, get into it if you put it out or put money into it but look yes yeah. what we were saying there but if you look at this year's six nations again like we got well beat against um was it france and i don't think we didn't play england did we because they were on the other side of the draw right? that's right yeah yeah so like like we got paid i have a 56 15 like mm-hmm. uh so like we're like like we're beating like wales and we're beating um we're beating italy and we're beating scotland mm-hmm. but like mm-hmm. how do we close the gap there between the, the professional teams is it a case of we have to go professional but i do think that, as you said we need to clean up the the club game and women's rugby as well you know yeah 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 and again there's no right or wrong or one or two answers here like it's it's um we have to you know go with the cards we're dealt with dealt yeah. with and right now do you know that's that you know we're, we're all amateur um we've a good few players playing in the in the prem in england like a lot of different ways to debate that. Like a lot of the Welsh girls are playing at the Prem in England and they didn't perform in the Six Nations at all. Yeah. You know, so you you could, you know, there's a lot of different ways to argue it. Like we're being supported an awful lot through our camps at the minute. Like we've had a lot of camps in the last year um, and that's been really good for us, you know, instead of just being like, ah, look, we'll focus on it later. We've been in a lot of camps like, and that's been really good. So I... I don't know what the answer is because like if I said yeah we all need to turn professional is like that's that's easier said than yeah, done but, it can't just but, but like we're on about there that we need to show leadership at the top and work its way down like I'll, I'll show you a good thing that I saw there last year was Kerry uh they, tr- they struggle to have a women's team you know I think Tralee had mm. one and then I think they just scrapped it they have just the Kerry's rugby team you know like you yes. look at you look at Mallow there and you've can talk two big enough towns right beside each other mm. like should they not just have i don't know like they probably had like did, i don't know they can't talk ever women's team but should they just like should they just kind of do a thing where they merge because even in y'all any good women players in dungarvan they just came in and i think they made like a y'all slash dungarvan team is that what they should yeah. be looking to do in clubs around the country as well maybe i mean like you have um oh you have a lot of Excellent women's rugby teams there, like, you know, the likes of UL Bowes, Black Rock, all regions like, that have been around for years that have been able to produce like top class players and, and play some very good rugby. I suppose if you wanted to, and there's been talk around it as well, like making the, you know, the interpros, you know, Munster, Leinster, Connacht, Ulster, like putting into that, making that like the men's setup, you know, but it's not that easy because if you talk about Munster, for example, it's not going to be professional, at least not today or tomorrow. It's not going to be professional for a while. If you, when I, anytime I played for Munster, you had to drive an hour to training, an hour back minimum. You know, you're going to Tipperary, you're going to places like Moy, like Limerick. And if you're coming up from Kerry, that's a tough drive. Like, and you do that a couple of times a week. So I don't know, is that the answer at the moment either? Like to make the Interpros like the biggest competition? Yeah. Because I know, especially back in my day, UL Bowles is a lot higher standard than Munster because of those reasons, because of the travel, because of the kind of small time you have together. Um, so, yeah, I think that investment in the actual club sites would probably be the answer. But I don't know, did you see that Neville there the other day, they announced that um, the Women's Interprose is going to be on TG Carr for the oh, first right. time ever. Like, it's going to be on telly. Yeah, that's yeah. massive. Like, that's massive that's exposure. It is great. It's TG Carr are good at that stuff, though, to be fair. Oh, know? like, leading the way. Yeah. absolutely leading the way and I just love them for it there and they're 
it's excellent coverage as well. You know, it's yeah. not just I've I I've a I've a big thing about like coverage of the women's game. A lot of it would be like live streamed or whatever. So you've got maybe like two max three camera angles. It it's not great quality. Do you know, like I always say this, do you know Tyke Furland stepped someone for where was that? Against England? Was this Scotland. 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 He stepped on him. Like I could not tell you how many times I saw that clip. Like I saw it with like Titanic music in the background. I saw it like on repeat, in and out, reverse, this angle, that angle. Stuff like that happens in the women's game every single week. Yeah. But you'll have it maybe on some kind of average enough uh, quality. And then, you know, you might, it might be shared a few times and that's great. But like, you know, the men have just such high exposure to like quality media. And if you watch like all the female athletes around the world, female athletes are better at engaging online. So if you, if you think about it, really, if you had the quality of, you know, um, footage to share for the skills in the women's game, like imagine how many more fans and exposure that would bring in. So yeah, yeah I'm delighted for TG Carr to have announced that it's a difficult one because there's not going to be any of the international players involved. Um, because we have our World Cup qualifiers and they're happening kind of the same time as the Interpros. So that's a, that means that it's a, a lot of rugby that's... Uh, they've been training a lot now, all of, the, all of the provinces, but they haven't played that many games in the last year. Like, so it, I think it'll be a lot of pressure on to like, perform really well like, yeah. and to have the women's game kind of look really good. Like, I've no doubt there's a lot of good players there that, you know, that aren't in an Irish setup that will carry that. So I'm just, I'm, I'm hoping it's going to be like a, a good, a good advertisement for, for women's rugby. No, I, 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 well, look, I remember the TG Carter showed the Pro 14 when no one wanted to show it. And look what it's turned into now. I really do believe yeah. though, that we're at a turning point in sports in Ireland with women's. I just think, you know, having women pundits on, I think sometimes it's just a token effort. I think there needs to be something really done. And I do, I do think it will happen eventually. And I, I do, because I do think there's a there's a market here for it. Like you could see how good the, the final was in the RDS that time, the World Cup. But I suppose mm. just to move it on then, uh, and is um, I, I just want to get you while I have you on as well, is what did you make of the lines um, this summer? That's what we're talking about. Yeah, I think I already kind of uh, yeah. <laughs> said how I was feeling about it. I uh, I wasn't too involved in kind of the a lot of the you know selection dis- um, decisions, <laughs> the, like the kind of the the thoughts around the selection decisions and things like that. I didn't follow it too much. Um, I just kind of tuned into the games at the weekends. Like we were in camp, so uh, I would just kind of turn on the telly. Like when either when we were finished, I'd watch it above where we were training, or I'd kind of rush home to watch it. Sit down, ready for a good bit of kind of to be entertained. I swear, I was just bored, yeah. bored watching it, um, which is disappointing. Like I love the Lions tour, and I think well, you might agree that like as soon as. Um, your man got injured and Finn Russell came in. Um, changed the game. Came off the bench. Oh, yeah. Changed the tournament. Yeah, yeah. And like, that's typical Finn Russell though. Like if you had him on from the beginning, he may not have played like that. You know, he he's kind of point of proof yeah. player. You know, he's got real yeah, character it, about him. When It was an FU to Gatland, you know. 100%, yeah. which, you know, was, was entertaining enough. But sure, we only got it for the 70 minutes or whatever. And I think we could have done with a bit more of it. But uh He's, he's an interesting player. He's a funny one, but it was nice to see him there. I was just dying to see a bit more of Marcus Smith. I think he's amazing. 
Um, I've been a big fan of him now for the past few years, and like his time, his time will come. I think he'll he's going to be one of the best players like that the world has ever seen. Right, jeez. Um, because yeah, yeah. is it? Not because of that. Like, uh, just I I suppose I was exposed to him like watching him from when I lived in kind of Twickenham, and I started to kind of wanted to get in you know, yeah. tune into some local rugby and like he was only 17 or something at the time. And I was like, what the hell? Yeah. He is unbelievable. Like as a 10 pulling strings, like that young age, I was like shocked at how good he was when he was like very young. He's still very young. So yeah, I'm, I'm just, I'm so excited for him. And I was really glad for him to get the call up. And, um, well, what, what was, yeah. what was very disappointing about the Lions tour, just to cut across the deal was, um, One. is that, you know, well, obviously, don't know fans is a big blow. I think more than anything in the lines because you know, lads, mm. people go out there for the session and the tours looks brilliant with all the fans. Uh, yeah. But also, what's what was disappointing was um, it's supposed to be kind of nearly like the, the uniqueness of it. You know, bringing four countries mm. together and see how mm. the different styles of play come together. And you said mm. it there, like all we saw was box kicks. You know, like we mm. do, we don't want like it's it's supposed to be a. Uh, exciting brand of rugby to see it. and yeah. like that, that like it just looked like that now South Africa definitely contributed to it as well because that's all they do is just front up ball but it was uh, yeah. very disappointed you know yeah that's a good point as well so what, what like I suppose it just came down to Gatlin like you know he wants just more success and more success I think he's been in there too long it was probably yeah. time for a change up like before this tour maybe even before the last tour you know like he just, he's definitely gone stale and just wants to win at any cost. But you're right, there's so much to be offered there by bringing those those players together. And like, yeah, you're right about not having fans. But like, if, if it was entertaining enough, I don't think they would have noticed as much, you know. Um, I don't know about bringing it to the UK. You know, there's a lot of people disappointed that it didn't come to the UK in the end. But like... Uh, you know, you just have to make a decision on that. And, and, and they went with South Africa and whether it paid off or not, I don't know. But like the, the carry on from Rassi, like what on earth? I kind of, I was kind of enjoying it. I think he's a bit mad. Oh, yeah. It's nice to see, you know, someone like throw, throw a few shapes in terms of like something a bit different than like the whole, uh, the um, elusive Twitter yeah. account. That's like, yeah, the I thought it was very funny. Yeah, the Jose Mourinho rugby, like, you know, but anyway, I, I don't think I want to see that come into rugby, though, to be honest with you. No, but, uh, uh, no. agreed, agreed, yeah. yeah but um, would you like to see a Lions women's team? Yeah, I mean, there's talk of it. Um, it's been talk of it for a few years now. Um, I think that there's going to be movement on it. I think there's already movement on it. I mean, they came up with the Barbarians team, you know, in the last few years, which I was very lucky to, to be involved in. Um so, yeah, if there was a Lions, uh, it'd be incredible. Yeah, yeah like, you know, you, you look at um, Team GB that went to the Olympics and, you know, because you'd have a lot of people saying, Asher, it would just be the English players because, you know, because they're pro or whatever. Yeah, but yeah, actually, yeah. You'd, you know, a few girls like from, from Scotland and Wales put their hands up for Team GB as well. So there are athletes there from each of the home nations that would be like definitely deserving of a jersey. Um going going on a on a Lions tour I think it'd be yeah I think it'd be incredible and uh something to something to look forward to in the women's game and yeah if we're going to talk about you know parity in in, yeah. in in yeah in in, in the, the men's and women's games like why 
why, why you do the men get the opportunity to go to a Lions tour and, 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 and the women don't, you know, like allow the same pathways over time. Like I think it will happen, but like, you know, we're capped at international level. Like there's nothing else you can do after that. Whereas these lads, when they're playing for an international, you know, in, in performing in an international jersey, they've in the back of their mind, I could get selected for something else here, you yeah. know, and I'm, I've got my sights on a Lions jersey. So why don't the women have that kind of, you know, thing in their mind to allow themselves to to focus on as well. The I was trying to look it up there. When's the next women's Ireland? I know you said the World Cup qualifications. Then, so who are you playing in that, and when are they? So yeah, so it's, yeah, it's just been confirmed. It will be in Italy. Um, thirteenth of September is the first game. Uh, I only remember that my birthday <laughs> and then there's two other games kind of within it's a 12 day turnaround tournament with three games we're going to play Italy Scotland and Spain right. and uh, the, the top team from that will go uh, straight into the World Cup and the runner up team from that will go into one final world repechage but I think uh, yeah I'm hoping that we've kind of done enough in terms of training and and uh, camps and and think we're playing really well I'm very excited for it and to to see how we get on um and and just finally play 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 these qualifiers and finally like yeah, book yeah. a ticket to the world cup like that's obviously the the, the goal behind it all yeah no I definitely look forward to that and it finally Anna um what's next for you then I suppose are you 32 now am I right in saying or uh <laughs> I don't know I could be wrong like what's how many more Almost. years? How many more years do you hope to get out of it? And uh, I don't know what you want to do after you hang up the boots, or do you just want to go to coaching again, or what are you going to do? Yeah, I mean, it's it's obviously a, something that's been like prolonged now because of COVID. Um, I'm obviously aiming for that World Cup. Um, I think how good I feel when I when I play and train. I think I still have a lot in me, and I also don't, you know, could. If I was to hang up the boots now, it would have been a very disappointing last two years of, of play, you know, with COVID. So I want yeah. some really good days out to, to just kind of forget about COVID and brush over that um, kind of time away from rugby and time out from rugby. So, uh, yeah, not 32 quite yet, but, but, but nearly there. And, uh, yeah, once, you know, I'm, I'm going to aim for that World Cup, which is going to be on next year. And then after that, I would like to play some club rugby around the world I would like to play in France Spain um you know I would love to go back to just playing club rugby yeah. you know like not not worrying about performance because you know you, you, you've got to you know think about an Irish jersey but like just play because you love it and and, and you're having the crack with your teammates and you know drinks afterwards and sing songs and things like that like I love that side of rugby I love it so much that I think it's something that is going to be a part of my life for the rest of my life so I I'd love to stay involved at rugby whether as a coach as a manager like um you know a lot of a lot of um just a lot of pathways and my time in the premiership really opened my eyes to how much work there is in professional rugby and I yeah. think I'll uh yeah, I think I'll, I'll stick to that. But like I say, you know, I'm, I'm a languages teacher, so would love to get back in touch with my languages. And I think I'll be a teacher forever, to be honest, no matter what job I'm doing. Right. So who knows? Who knows what's next? I'm, I'm focused on the, the qualifiers for now anyway, and, and we'll see. I, I, I may, may or may not be changing up my club come, come this coming season. So I might go back to London to Queens or there's a few more clubs that have been on to me and that I'm in talks with at the moment. So we'll, we'll see. Uh, yeah, we'll see how we get on. 
Well, definitely hang in there. It's uh, no, I think I think as I said, I think women's sport, not just rugby, I think it's going to take off in the next few years because uh, and I think rightfully so. But uh, to finish yeah. with Anna, um, sixty second questions running on the show. Okay. Question: You have to think of the spot. So. Uh, okay, Grant, ready? Yeah, ready. Uh, favorite holiday that I've been on, or what I'd like to go. <laughs> that you've been on. Come on. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. Um. Uh, Rio de Janeiro. Yeah. Uh, who would play you in a movie? Oh, I'm bad with actors' names. Uh, come um, on. Oh my god. Uh, oh, um, Jennifer Lawrence. <laughs> yeah. Uh, what is something you've never tried but want to? Um, a, a hot air balloon. Best book you have ever read? Um, oh, Agassiz. Uh, open. Go to breakfast food. Ooh, um, uh, pancakes. <laughs> uh, proudest moment? Um, my first cap. Uh, favorite oh, thing? Cap. Favorite thing to do in your day off? Um, stand up paddle boarding or um, hiking. How often do you do your dirty laundry? <laughs> um, uh, three times a year. <laughs> uh, West life, well, all right. Jeez, West life or boys one? <laughs> Oh, Westlife. Um, uh, your biggest fear? Uh, heights. Leg day or chest day? Uh, legs. And finally, tea or coffee? Um. <laughs> coffee. Tea. Coffee. Tea. Coffee. Right. Coffee. Anna, coffee. Anna, I must say, I, I, I thought I was going to really struggle for stuff to talk about, but I'd say I could have won it. Another two hours with you, but uh, yeah, you'll have some fierce editing to do there. Well, yeah, no doubt about it. No, Anna, thanks a million for coming on, and uh, best luck in the in the journey of Robbie and what's next to come. Yeah. Thanks a million, Neville. And thanks for listening. And thanks again to Anna Capus. We wish her all the best in the upcoming World Cup qualifiers. And uh, really nice girl. I hope you enjoyed that. Remember, you can get this podcast on Spotify and wherever else you get your podcasts. I'll be back again next week where I'll be talking to someone else from World of Sport. Until next time, I'm Neville Donahue, and I'm out of here. Thanks for listening.